Welcome back, everyone, after a long holiday break. What a tremendous sound to start off with. I have a beer as well, ready to uh, ready to start drinking because, boy, it is an awesome time to uh, to be an IU fan. Uh, we took last week off. We didn't intend to. Things just got kind of uh, hectic and with the holidays and whatnot. So took last week off, but we're back this week and just a whole lot of fun things to talk about. Before we dive in, it's going to be a pretty packed show. Um, if you can, as always, leave a rating and review if you aren't, haven't already on iTunes. Um, subscribe, obviously, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a huge help us. Um, we appreciate all the all the support you guys have given us. So there's a lot of places we could start. As I said, everybody is almost everybody's winning right now for IU, but I don't think there's a uh, better place to start than the bucket game. Which my oh my, what a game that was! Um, that game <laughs> that took a lot off me. Uh, I haven't. It was a different feeling. I usually feel that way about IU basketball games, but uh, is that the best bucket game you've – I mean, I think to me it's hands down the best bucket game. Is it? Is Do you feel the same? Best in terms of most exciting, most thrilling, yes, because that game was an absolute heart stopper. Best in terms of not sending me to an early grave, <laughs> no. Uh, th- that was tense. It, w- it was a heck of a game. I, I mean, not going to take away from it in that regard, but I, I think I would have been just as happy if Indiana would have cruised to a 20-point win. They look like they uh, were going to do that, um, and maybe if... Logan Justice doesn't get a case of the yips, I guess. I don't know what happened on uh, on Saturday, but if he doesn't do that and knocks in a couple field goals, then maybe that game's different because IU absolutely was running away with that game. Wap Fillier pulled in a, a long touchdown, made it 28-10, goes choo-choo training back to the sideline. Um, and at that point, I thought, we're routing them. This one's over. There's no chance. Unfortunately, we let a gentleman by the name of Alexander uh, just run all over us um, and got kept Purdue in the game. Uh, they scored back-to-back touchdowns into the third, beginning of the fourth, and then it was on from there. Um, but before we uh, go any further, because I'll, like I did last time, I'll start taking points away from what you want to make. We'll just do it like this. Uh, what is your one big uh, positive from from that win? Um, I, I think that I'm going to go with it, not necessarily something that was positive for Indiana, but just was a part of the game that I personally really enjoyed, and that was the matchup between Taiwan Mullen and David Bell. Uh, these dudes are both true freshmen, and they came out and they just went at each other. They both picked up wins here and there. It was such a fun kind of one-on-one battle to watch because they're both very talented. I mean, if you listen to the commentary, they were talking about how, you know, Hoosier fans should be so excited, you know, Hoosier and Boiler fans should be so excited to have three more years of this. I don't know if 
they make it three more years because both of those guys are pro level talents. I, I mean, I could easily see David Bell or Taiwan Mullen going pro early. So I think that over the next two years, you should hold on to that matchup for what it's worth because those dudes are good. You would just looking at the stat sheet, David Bell had nine catches, 136 yards. Uh, just looking at it, you wouldn't have believed it was much of a competition, but boy, that you are 100, you 100% right. Um, I thought Taiwan held his own as much as he could. Um, he had four passes defended. Um, he's been incredible all season. It was on display for large chunks of that game. Um, but man, that IU, that IU secondary, if, uh, I'll give my one big negative first because it's that IU defense. Uh, that, there was, yeah. that team had no, that Purdue team had no business putting up almost 600 yards of offense. Um, they threw for over 400 yards. Uh, Bryson Hopkins and David Bell had over 100 yards. Um, I tweeted at one point, I think in the fourth quarter, what did IU spend the week game planning on defensively? Because it seemed like Purdue was able to do whatever it wanted, whenever it wanted. And they were just getting out-schemed um, across the board. And I, it wasn't a great showing, I didn't think, for uh, Tom Allen and the coaching staff in that game. Uh, prides himself, um, rightfully so in some regards, but prides himself as a defensive-minded coach. They got, in my opinion, thoroughly outcoached um, on that side of the ball on Saturday. Where was there anywhere specific you were seeing struggles defensively? I, I the thing that baffled me the most about Indiana's defensive performance was the fact that you knew that Bryson Hopkins was a good player. You knew that walking into the stadium. You knew that, you know, the week before you, before you even put on the tape, you knew that Bryson Hopkins was probably the best tight end in the Big Ten, possibly one of the best in the nation. And Indiana seemingly made no effort to cover him at all. He was open all, all afternoon. I mean, he wasn't just open. He was wide open at points. It's just, it kind of seems like a really common sense thing to cover possibly Purdue's best receiving threat. <laughs> and, and I understand that that's not an easy job, but at least make it look like you're trying. I, I mean, feel free to put in some effort. Maybe Indiana doesn't have the personnel to match up with Bryson Hopkins, and obviously he's a guy that presents a, a unique kind of challenge, but you're going to let him do that? I, I mean, you're going to leave him wide open and just you know let him have whatever he wants? He ended up with eight catches for 142 yards and two touchdowns, including a 72-yard touchdown, which was, if I recall correctly, basically just on a go route. Like, he he just ran straight. There wasn't anything special about that. Yeah, it was more he, of a... He just ran in a straight line. It was more of a slant route. Yeah, it, yeah I, I mean, he just he ran right through the middle of the Indiana zone. I, I Actually, no, it was man, and whoever was on top of him just completely... Completely and utterly whiffed. And, and it's just, oh, that was so frustrating. Now I'm reliving this all again. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it anymore. Bryson Hopkins is good. Uh, and that's the frustrating thing, that last thing you mentioned. This 
there's been so many times this year that this defense has taken just some weird angles. Uh, the secondary has just taken some weird angles and just totally taken themselves out of the play in the process. And that's kind of what that was in that specific play. I don't even know. if I, It was just, you're right, he just caught the ball, ran straight, and just nobody was even, it was like nobody was even looking that way. Um, that was wildly frustrating to watch. But the good, now that we've gotten the bad out of the way, because I don't want this to seem as a negative, there was plenty of good to talk about. Uh, my one big positive has to be Peyton Ramsey. Um and I, I think this is like the third, fourth, fifth time. I don't know. It's been a lot of times that I've, I've made Ramsey my one big positive. I know the last couple times I've written the, the recap, he's been one of the three things I mentioned. I really don't think you can give this guy enough credit. Um, he had five touchdowns on the day, um, just shy of 400 yards of offense. Um it's been said many times over and over and over, and it bears repeating, Indiana is nowhere near this uh, level of play if Peyton Ramsey doesn't stick around. And not just stick around. There's been a lot made about that. He is he has improved from last year. I know we've talked about DeBoer, and we're going to talk about him here in a minute. Um, but he's made strides from where he, he was in previous years. So this season doesn't happen without him. This win doesn't happen without him. Um, both were just huge, um, huge accomplishments for both him and this program. He's going to be remembered now um, as the quarterback who led one of the best seasons in Indiana football history. We're all, this this season's already a top. I haven't really looked a top ten probably IU football season, and he was he's going to be remembered predominantly as the quarterback for that. He had all the big wins. Um, the road wins on in conference play and the the Purdue wins. So, um, do you have anything else to add on, on Ramsey? I know we we kind of go over the same thing over and over each week, but as I said, it bears repeating. He he was just tremendous. I, I mean, you, you basically covered all the bases. He got sacked five times in this game, and I think at one point he might have left the field, but he didn't miss a play, if I remember correctly. And, and he just I think that he was able to do what he did despite the fact that he was facing some pretty stout pressure uh, throughout the game, especially in the second half. The first half wasn't that bad, but in the second half, uh, George Karloftis and that Purdue rush really stepped it up. Um, I think that that's really a testament to him. Uh, that was the, the big thing that I noticed with him this week. I, I know that a couple weeks ago it was – him moving around the pocket this week. It was him being able to take an absolute lick and get back up and keep going. Um, so it, it was a great game. I, I keep saying this every time he does this, but I, I think that this right here might be the game that he's m- remembered most for. I, I mean, rivalry weekend and you go for five touchdowns, 500 yards. I, I think that that's, this is the one that's going to stick in everybody's minds when they think about Peyton Ramsey. Hundred percent, um, and I agree. After each of the road wins, I thought that was the one that he'll be remembered for. And who knows? Maybe we get some big bowl game, and he has another huge outing, and that's the one he's remembered for. Um, entirely possible. We'll we'll talk about the bowl games here in uh, here in a bit. But 
uh, again, you can't say enough about how good Ramsey's been. Um, and yeah, you made a great point. He was beaten up. He's stuck in the pocket. Uh, the offense made some big adjustments. And, and that's the next point I want to talk about is another guy that we have just heaped loads of praise on and he deserves it again. Kalen DeBoer, I thought was incredible on, uh, on Saturday. This is a, an IU team that was banged up everywhere. Um, in the backfield, on the line, um, and they still put up 522 yards of offense. And the, the, the sequence that I want to highlight, I mean, obviously we all saw the, the way the game ended, but to me, in that overtime, Purdue had started doing some, some funky stuff with its coverage, uh, showing man and going zone and right before the snap. And I thought a, a great, um, adjustment that DeBoer made was that little tight end delay that he ran. Um, Purdue dropped back into its zone. They do the little tight end delay uh, to Hendershot. He gained, I want to say, about 15 yards on the play. And then I don't know who deserves the credit for IU running up to the line and, and hiking the ball right away. I don't know if that was DeBoer. I don't know if that was Allen, Ramsey, whoever it is. I thought that was another genius decision because um, Purdue couldn't get anyone out. They couldn't do any of that adjusting again or that, that showing one coverage doing another. And um, it ended up with, with Ramsey getting pushed in uh, for a touchdown. So DeBoer, again, just another incredible game, I thought. Um, what do you think of what he was able to do with the IU offense? I think that you're mostly right. There were some stretches where the play calling was a bit here and there, a bit touchy. I, I mean, for the most part, I really liked it. There were a few drives, I, I believe, somewhere in the the fourth quarter while Indiana was in the process of blowing its lead where he – just completely got away from what had made Indiana so successful in the early part of the game, which was running the ball with Samson James. I think James disappeared for a stretch of two or three drives somehow. I mean, he might have had a play here or there, but uh, some people theorized that they were saving his legs for the fourth. Um, I just, I, maybe he had some kind of minor injury that he was dealing with. We don't know the specifics on that, but, uh, outside of that, going away from Samson James for however many drives that was, I, I think they did really well. And then when Samson James did go down and he did leave the game, being able to kind of adjust for that, I liked what he did there at the end when, you know, in, the most important plays of the game, you're missing the player that's had possibly the, the best or second best game out of your entire, all of your offensive weapons. So all in all, good day, uh, for Kalen DeVore. Bit touch and go there for drive two, three, but all in all, good, good stuff. Yeah. A big shout out, uh, before we, um, I do want to touch on Samson James. Who another guy who stepped up. Before we get to that, it was A-Rod Taylor who was in the game um, at the end. And he was the one, I think I wrote in the recap, I thought it was Ronnie Walker. It was A-Rod Taylor that gave the push um, 
to Ramsey. He was the one in. I don't think any of us could have predicted that uh, he would be the quarterback in on the biggest play of the Purdue game uh, at season's end. But this this backfield, they've had a ton of depth. It's been challenged. But Samson James was incredible. He lived up to all of the uh, kind of hype around him uh, coming out of high school. Even in a game where he got hurt, uh, he had 118 yards and a touchdown on 22 carries. Just absolutely incredible. Um, how big, how big was his performance on the day? I, I think it was enormous. I, I mean, you really can't ask for much more from Samson James. This is really his first big opportunity to step in and be a, a key part of Indiana's offense. And he just absolutely hit a home run. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. Uh, you, you were kind of hoping that Stevie Scott was going to be available because you knew that with the way the weather was that Indiana was probably going to need to be able to run the ball at least a little bit to be successful. And, and when he wasn't in the game, uh, he wasn't going to play, that might have put a damper on things. But Samson James came out, and all he did was – destroy the Purdue defense in the first half. Uh, he was tremendous. And, I mean, he ended up averaging five and a half yards a carry. Uh, and he put up 118 yards and a touchdown, and he missed portions of the second half. So, I, I mean, he was just absolutely tremendous. Um, one of the best performances of the season, I think, from an Indiana running back, and that's saying something because Stevie Scott's been good throughout the year, good enough to be an all-Big Ten guy, so... Uh, I don't think you can really dock anything as far as Samson James's performance goes. Dude was phenomenal. Be interesting to see in the bowl game. Um, obviously, it's going to be a small sample size, but how much they use the two of them now. Uh, if it's more of a by committee approach, or if it's more of a this is still Stevie Scott's position. Whatever it is, as you said, both guys are super talented. IU has an incredibly deep – we talked about it a lot. Didn't really have to showcase how deep their backfield was because Stevie Scott's been so good this year. But Samson James showed you how deep it was um, with his huge game on Saturday. One other name on the offense uh, I don't think we could go without mentioning. We mentioned him once. Wap Fillier came back and did not look like he missed a beat. Uh, had two touchdowns, um, eight catches for 138 yards. He was incredible. Uh, it For large stretches, it looked like Purdue had the same defensive game plan IU did, and it was just to not guard Wap Fillier. Um, he had a couple, more than a couple catches where he was wide open, including that touchdown. Uh, the, his second, well, honestly, both touchdowns, but... Uh, his second touchdown, he just kind of streaking down the middle, nobody around him. His first touchdown, they forgot about him in the back of the end zone. Um, another huge day from him. A uh, couple stats on him. He, we talked earlier in the year, he, uh, he was on pace to be, to have the most yards in a season for Indiana. That belongs to Ernie Jones, 1,265 receiving yards. Him missing time, um, which was essentially two games, hurt. Um, 
not surprisingly. He crossed a thousand yards. He has a thousand and one yards for the season. He's only the seventh wide receiver to do that. Uh, Simi Cobbs is the most recent. If he has a, he's, so he's about two, he's 264 yards from first. That would be, that's an, an almighty task for, with one bowl game left. But, um, you're looking at one of the best receiving seasons ever. Um, and he, like we mentioned before, he has two separate 14 reception games, um, which is tied for third for single season or excuse me, for a single game. Um, he's already fifth in single season receptions. Like he is just rewriting the history book for, for Indiana, um, offense in many regards. So he's been incredible this year. I don't know if he, if he leaves at the end of this year, but regardless, enjoy him for the one last game that we'll have him because this has been, uh, one of the best seasons. He's been the most consistent weapon for this Indiana offense, I would say. Um, can't say enough great things about WAP. Um, is there anything else that stuck out to you about WAP this season and Saturday? No, I, I mean, I've spent so much time tooting WAP Villiers horn. He's fantastic. Um, I don't really know if there's anything more that I can say about him because he's just such a good player. I've said it so many times. Uh, if you're not on the bandwagon by now, you're never going to be on it. So um, just another great game for him. There's another guy, though, that I do want to mention. Uh, I don't think that we've talked about him up until this point, but he kind of came in and had one big moment, and it was an absolute lifesaver for the Hoosiers. Uh, we did mention that Logan Justice struggled in the Purdue game. And because of that, in the fourth quarter, with five minutes left and the Hoosiers up by five, Tom Allen and the coaching staff called on Chuck Campbell to make a 41-yard field goal. It was his second collegiate field goal attempt. And he absolutely nailed it. It would have been good from 50, 60. And, and the fact that he was able to come in and one shot that field goal in the conditions that the Hoosiers were playing in, in that moment was absolutely mind-boggling to me. I mean, we knew that he was good. He's on scholarship for a reason. He was an Army All-American kicker coming out of high school, and he just, Logan Justice beat him for the job. But now Chuck Campbell came in, he's had this huge moment, and... Maybe that will build some momentum for him. I, I mean, I'm sure that Tom Allen's going to stick with Justice in the bowl game, but now Charlie Campbell's had, he's made his mark on the Indiana football program. Um, that field goal put the Hoosiers up by eight, and that's what allowed us to get to overtime in the game. So big shout-out to Chuck. Huge, huge marbles on that dude. That's all I've got to say. 100%. Great call. I did not have him written down, but you are 100% right. He came in in a huge spot and hit a huge kick. It'd be interesting uh, to at least kind of watch. Logan Justice is still an all-Big Ten kicker um, who had an off day, basically. But, I mean, it was a really, really bad time to have an off day. Uh, he's still a sophomore. Campbell's a freshman. 
I don't know. I don't know about red shirts and if it's any different with kickers, um, because I don't think Campbell played in any other uh, games this season. So I don't know theoretically if you could redshirt them, if that's even something either party wants. Because right now there's only a year that separates them. Campbell played an Illinois game. I think that he hit like a 50-yarder against Eastern Illinois. And I think that Campbell actually redshirted last year, I believe. I believe that Campbell's a redshirt freshman. So he's got four to go now. Oh, okay. In that case, I would say that, well, obviously you can't redshirt him again, but it gives a little more distance between the two of them. Because, yeah, Campbell deserves not only credit, but deserves time on the field. But, obviously, it's hard to do that when you have another really good kicker. It's a good problem to have. It's an odd problem to have. Uh, Justice is a fifth-year senior. I, the roster I was looking at was on Sports Reference, listed him as a sophomore, and I was surprised by that. He is not a sophomore. Um, so Campbell will get in there next year. So, hey, that problem solved itself. Yeah, that problem solved itself in me doing some research. So, uh, But, yeah, that that's all we ha- I had written down for the game. An awesome game that is going to be remembered for a while. Um, it leaves Indiana in an interesting spot um, with in regards to bowl projections. Um, there isn't really a lot to note that hasn't already been discussed. Um, the one thing the win does do is take them two wins clear of uh, Michigan State and Illinois. Uh, which we had a, a discussion on Sunday in our Slack about kind of where um, where Indiana was going to go. But one big thing that, that was pointed out is that you can't pick Mich- you can't pick a uh, bowl can't pick Michigan State or Illinois over Indiana because they have two more wins. Um, so that was very important in getting the eighth win. As it stands now, Indiana fans as if they probably weren't already, should be rooting for Wisconsin pretty hard this weekend um, because the middle of the Big Ten is kind of a mess. After the uh, Ohio State and Penn State, they'll be at the college football playoff in the Rose Bowl, um, respectively. After that, it's kind of a bit of a mess. If you can get Wisconsin into one of the uh, other big bowl games, uh, it helps immensely for Indiana to go to a bigger bowl because right now the problem you're kind of looking at the way things shake out right now is that you're looking at Wisconsin probably going to the Citrus Bowl Minnesota and Michigan going to the Outback and the Holiday Bowl one of them to to each I'm not sure which one it doesn't particularly matter which then leaves you 8 and 4 Indiana and 9 and 3 Iowa for the Music City or Gator Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl which means there is a decent chance that Indiana returns to the Pinstripe Bowl. To me, that would be very frustrating um, because, I mean, to me, I having gotten eight wins, I want a bigger opponent, a bigger game. I want to go somewhere that they haven't been before. I don't want to go back to the Pinstripe Bowl, although it burst arguably the best bit in Crimson Quarry history, I don't want to go back there. Um, there have been some rumblings that 
Indiana and Nashville are close to a done deal. Um, I don't know how much you can trust those. Um, but that would send Indiana to the Music City Bowl. There's been a lot of talk about the Music City Bowl. It's a, it's a messy situation. Um, but the bottom line is you should be rooting hard for Wisconsin. Um, I think I mentioned this, we talked about this before, but is there any particular, uh, bowl that you want to see IU go to? Um, I'd like to see Indiana in either the Gator or the Music City, whichever one decides that it's going to take a Big Ten team. Um, their agreement says that it will be the Gator this year, but as far as I've heard, there's some kind of, you know, behind the scenes stuff where if they really wanted to, the two could make, make another agreement and they could trade and that would give the Gator Bowl the rights to take an ACC team, um, and that basically means a big flashing sign that says Florida State. Um, mm-hmm. And then that would put the Big Ten in the Music City Bowl, and Indiana and Iowa would be in prime position for that. I, I mean, obviously you don't want to go to the Pinstripe Bowl because what's the difference between 6-6 six and six and 8-4 and four then? Um, but at the same time, if you end up in New York, that's probably a winnable game. You're looking at a lower-tier um, ACC team, I believe, and the ACC isn't terribly good. And even the good ACC teams outside of Clemson aren't terribly good this year. So if you do end up in New York, it might feel like a disappointment, but at the same time, the chance that nine win Indiana actually happens goes through the roof. If Indiana's playing like North Carolina compared to if they're playing an SEC opponent or, you know, whatever else, what other options they would have. Um, so I, th- I think the music city slash Gator is ideal. I think it's right where Indiana should fit. Unfortunately, with the way that things have stacked up, maybe the pinstripe bowl isn't that bad of an option, even though it's not ideal. Yeah, it's there's kind of two lines of thinking. Iowa went to the pinstripe bowl the year after Indiana did, so they're both going to be repeats no matter what the situation. Um, Iowa fans travel much, much better, but... Nashville is a lot closer than New York. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much that weighs. It's worth noting as well, Swick pointed out in our Slack that the Music City will pick first. And so I don't know if they really like Indiana, then maybe that's where they go. Uh, if the reports are true, and wait, not even reports, just really rumblings. If the rumblings are true and that they really like Indiana, this all kind of works itself out. Um, as I said, Iowa's always bowl eligible. Make them go to the pinstripe bowl and let us have some fun. Um, but it really boils down to, as you said as well, would you rather go to the pinstripe bowl 
and have a much better shot at nine Indiana or go to the Music City Bowl and play a much tougher team um, because a middling SEC team is a lot different than a middling ACC team this year. Either way, it's a lot more fun to be talking about this than what we would normally be talking about in early December, which is college basketball. Um, which, speaking on, we will, after the break, both the men's and women's team are on fire right now, and we're going to talk a little bit about both of them. So, uh, after the break, we will, uh, we'll talk about some, uh, Devontae Green. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Indiana men's team had its biggest test of the year on Tuesday and passed with absolutely flying colors. I was honestly very surprised. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. As I've mentioned many times on here, I didn't really watch a whole lot of IU uh, before the other night, Tuesday night, and... I was pleasantly surprised. Um, a lot of things that were sustainable, maybe some that weren't. Um, I'll let you go first. What is what was your one big positive from the night? Well, I was kind of in the same boat as you. I, I wasn't feeling terribly confident about this game for Indiana. I, I told our uh, good friend Cheese that I didn't think that they really had much of a chance just because I thought that Florida State's size was going to kind of skew things their way, help them kind of put together a really solid defensive effort against the Hoosiers, and I could not have been more wrong. Um, I didn't expect Devontae Green to go absolutely bananas. Um, he just he just absolutely went off. If you haven't seen the Devontae the green highlights from the Florida State game, go to our website. In our recap, there's a link to the highlight video. It will be worth however long it is. That that time will be well spent. He had 30 points. He went 10 of 15 from the field, 5 of 7 from downtown. Um, he also had 6 boards, 3 assists, 2 steals. So basically take all of your your anti Devonte Green narratives about him being inefficient and blah, 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 and whatever, and throw them out the window, bring all of your terrible, awful, no good Devonte Green takes and lay them at our feet because he <laughs> is an absolute king. Um, he was just hitting ridiculous shots. He, he, I yelped on several occasions because he was just hitting the dumbest shots I've ever seen before in my life. Fade away three, with a defender in his jersey, didn't matter. Just straight cash. Um, I don't. It was amazing. Just plain and simple, amazing. He was hitting so many ridiculous shots that I threw out Carson Edwards comparisons in our Slack. Probably a little 
a little overstepping there. But, uh, I mean, last night's game, that was absolutely incredible. Step back threes, fadeaway threes, um, just everything was falling. It was great to see Assembly rocking the way it was last night because at times it has been rough going uh, under Archie. So it was nice to see that back. Uh, the other big, it, other big guy, uh, worth mentioning on the night, which no pun intended, but Trace Jackson Davis was incredible. That was the first kind of extended action I've watched of him. And boy, he is everywhere. He is so much fun to watch. Um, he, we were talking today that I don't know that there really is a recent comparison, um, to the type of player he is. Noah Vonley is the only name we could come up with, and he certainly gives a lot more. He who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He certainly gives a lot more of a damn than Vonley ever did on the court. Um, the most incredible thing about uh, TJD is that his free throw rate is absurd. 98.4, which sixth best in the country. That means that he is getting into the line at the sixth best rate in the country. Uh, he's drawing the 19th most fouls per 40 minutes. Um, he is an animal down low and shot uh, 14 free throws on the night, which is the third time this year already he shot at least 13 free throws. Um, he was all over the place, so much energy. I thought a... a a great move by Archie um, in that second half was basically going away from Brunk and Duran Davis only played one minute, which his kind of, I don't want to say fall, but his career is, it's frustrating as an outsider because injuries really kind of robbed him of something that could be really cool. But they went away from some of the more traditional bigs and went to, to Jackson Davis. Um, he played 35 minutes, him and Justin Smith both. Um, basically just overwhelmed them with that, overwhelmed Florida State with athleticism. The other big thing worth noting, Archie Miller has a good offense apparently, at least for one night, because Florida State, uh, even after IU's game, ranks as the fifth best defense, uh, adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm. IU put up 1.16 points per possession against them. Uh, does Archie actually have a good defense now, Austin? Um, I, I think that that is a question that we could spend a lot of time on. Last night, at times, the offense did not look good. Um, but for the most part, I mean, like you said, the numbers don't lie. The offense was good last night against Florida State. I'm, if I'm gonna be concerned about anything in that regard, it would be the offense outside of Devontae Green. Because if you look, I, I mean, Indiana hit seven of 15 threes as a team, which, okay, cool. Um, that looks pretty good surface level. And then you look at Devontae hitting five of seven, and that kind of changes things a bit. I mean, Armand Franklin hit one of three. Demisi hit one of two. Al Durham went over two, and Justin Smith went over one. So I don't know if there's 
without Devontae, I mean, there's some spacing, more spacing than last year, probably. Uh, It was enough to win this game, and it it was more than enough. I mean, they blew the doors off of Florida State, but I would be cautious about that. Cautiously optimistic about this Indiana team, especially on the offensive end, is kind of where I stand. At least, I mean, looking at the numbers, this is statistically a good offense. I'm kind of in the same boat. Those all all those numbers came against, as we've noted, very poor teams. So um, regression to the mean might be in order as we start to get into conference play. But maybe last night was just an example that this team's actually just good. It's really hard to tell. Um, because those first seven games were just kind of whatever, basically. Um, it's not horrible to just pad your record with seven wins, especially given, as we said, and as many have said, that the selection committee doesn't really reward tough scheduling. Pad the wins where you can get them. Um, but it leaves us with, with kind of lots of questions about what this IU team really is. Um, a couple of the stats worth noting... They're the best team in the nation at free throw attempts per field goal attempt. Um, they are 11th in effective field goal percentage. They're 20th at getting offensive rebounds and 8th in the country at not allowing them. So they're a good rebounding team. Um, and a lot of these things, as you kind of look back, are areas where Archie's had success before. There's been It's been kind of hit and miss at getting to the line. Uh, but there's been years where he's had uh, – his successful teams have gotten to the line, which isn't even necessarily an Archie thing. That's just a, any good team type of thing. Um, so maybe this is finally Archie getting some of his players in and some of the players he likes and this team's starting to finally take shape. It's also worth noting that IU got this win without Finnessy, who is going to be the starting point guard when he's healthy. Um Hopefully he can get back and fully healthy because, as we saw at times last year, he was vitally important to this team. So I don't know necessarily how much he helps or hurts the the three-point shooting, but he's a lead guard that can take care of the ball and is a great player. So you certainly want him back. We'll find out a lot more about this team on Saturday when they travel to Wisconsin. Um, The absolutely cursed... Cole Center. Uh, Wisconsin has struggled this year. They've lost three straight. But as I said, the Cole Center is absolutely cursed. Um, this is probably the best chance Indiana is going to have in recent years at getting a win. But that I know for a fact is not the la- <laughs> the first time I've said that sentence in recent years. Um, it seems like a couple years running now. It's I've said this is the best chance Indiana has at winning there. So will things actually be different this season uh, in Wisconsin? I'm going to, once again, be a bit cautious about that because, like you said, the Cole Center is IU's boogeyman. Um, Indiana just just doesn't win in the Cole Center, um, no matter seemingly how good or bad the Badgers may be. So, um, I mean, it's still early in the season. So 
it's kind of hard to know how good each team is. I mean, Wisconsin did manage to beat Marquette in the Kohl Center, and they didn't just beat them. Uh, Wisconsin spanked them 77-61, and Marquette's not a bad team. So maybe, you know, they have had some issues, you know, losing to St. Mary's and Richmond and New Mexico and NC State, but maybe this is a Wisconsin team that, comes back home after losing three straight on the road and they see that it's Indiana coming in and they see what Indiana just did to Florida state. And this this is a game that the Badgers get up for. Um, I I think it very easily could be a really, really tough game because if there's going to be a game for Wisconsin to get up for in the next couple of weeks, it's this one. So Wisconsin might not be as good as they have been in the past, but I'm not overlooking them in the slightest. I don't I don't think anybody is necessarily, but I'm not feeling great about going to the Cole Center because you never should. This will be interesting. I will say, and I I don't even want this necessarily to come across as a bitter fan complaining about the refs, but Indiana never gets whistles at the Kohl Center. So <laughs> even for all of the things I said about how good they are at getting to the line, Wisconsin will almost certainly outshoot them at the free throw line. Um, it'll be an interesting stretch here for Indiana because uh, before the end of the, the calendar year, they'll play Wisconsin, a neutral site game against UConn, um, the Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame and then host Arkansas. Those are all top 60 Ken Palm teams with Nebraska at home mixed in there. We'll we'll have some answers about Indiana by the end of the year, uh, which finally, because those first seven games were both a joke and also could be the difference in seeding come tournament time. So the other basketball team in Bloomington also is – playing incredible basketball right now. Last time we spoke about the IU women's team, uh, I believe we said that we would have some answers about them next time we talked. And that was before even tonight, the night we're recording this. So first, uh, they went to Gainesville and blew out Florida, which Florida isn't isn't great, but it's a true road win, um, which the men's team... Hardly ever does, it seems like, at least non-conference. Um, and then, boy, did they go and make a statement at the Paradise Jam. They did. Yeah, they first took it absolutely to Wisconsin, or to, excuse me, South Carolina, number five South Carolina. Um, they win 71-57. I, that's one of the biggest wins in the program's history. Yes. Yeah, let alone this season. Um, they then played Baylor the next night. They hung with them. That's number two Baylor, and that's a traditional power. Um, so to even just hang with them and not get your doors blown off, um, it was a tight game until the fourth, uh, where they got outscored by seven and lose by 15. Um, so they hung with them there. They finished off the Paradise Jam by blowing out Washington State for the, the third game in as many nights, which is odd, but it's early tournament, early season tournament thing. And then they were off until Wednesday where they traveled to another 
face another top 25 team at Coral Gables and got another, not only another road win, but a road win against a ranked team. I watched the game tonight. Um, as much as I encourage everyone to watch this team, I don't know that you should watch this game because it was ugly. 58-45 final, which speaks worlds about the IU defense, but boy, that was an offensive struggle from both sides on the night. Um, you said you followed along. What's been, what was your kind of takeaway tonight as this team is really rounding into form? I think that they were able, what stuck out to me was that they were able to go in and they were able to win this game by such a large margin, despite the fact that they weren't exactly 100%. Um, Alexa Goulbay is an important player for this team, and she did play. She put in 22 minutes, but she had an ankle injury. She was day-to-day questionable before the game, and it, it kind of showed in the way that she shot from the field. She went 3-for-11, but she was still able to, you know, chip in here and there, pulling down rebounds, you know, getting to the line, um, not having her uh, at, at full health, not exactly ideal, and then... One of Indiana's best players, Grace Berger, just com- completely missed the game. She was out with an injury. She was hurt. She didn't play one minute, didn't step on the floor, um, and, and it didn't matter. Indiana still won. Indiana still won big. So I think that doing that, despite facing the adversity of two of your your key players, two of your, your better rotation players being out or limited was – what really stood out to me, uh, it speaks to the depth of the team. Uh, it speaks to the quality of the players that are kind of in, you know, order behind them, uh, around them. Um, so I was really impressed with that. Berger took a, they said during the telecast, during the Washington State game, took a charge, hit her head on the floor, had a concussion. She was on the bench, but she wasn't playing. Um, but yeah, that that's one of the points I was going to make is that they did this not even at full strength to go on the road and get this win. Miami has one of the top players in the country in Beatrice Montpierre, um, a big who um, is on all of your watch lists and on all of the lists of the best players um, in the country for for women's basketball. And IU effectively took her out of the game. Um, she finished 3 of 11 from the field. Most of her points came at the line. She finished with 11 points and 6 rebounds. I thought they did a, a terrific job of doubling down on her uh, whenever she got the ball in the post and for, forced her into some turnovers. She had 6 turnovers on the night. They were able to, to strip her of the ball just about any time she got it down in the post, and she really was never comfortable. Um, it never seemed during the game. She started to force some things, which only made matters worse. Um, so I thought it was a terrific defensive effort. She came into the night, or into the, yeah, into the night averaging 18 points and nine rebounds a game. Last season, she averaged 16 and 12. So Indiana to hold her to 11 points and six rebounds was huge. Um, and they've, as much as kind of earlier in the year, we talked about the, uh, the offense of this team, which they were putting up 
huge numbers um, early in the season. Defensively, they have done a uh, a great job a couple games here now. Um, they played really well defensively against uh, South Carolina and um, taking some of their big players out of the game. Um, they they're they're just a really good team. Like this is there's there's not really any other way to put it. Like this is one of the top teams in the country. Um, their, uh, their ranking is starting to show it. Um, and I would imagine it's only going to keep going up because on top of beating a top 25 team, they're going to come home and have a bit of a, an easy, uh, schedule through the, uh, end of the year. Um, they're not going to face a, a ranked team. I mean, technically nobody in the big 10, but them is ranked. I don't believe, but. Uh, they have North Florida, Butler, Youngstown State um, as your next three. All should be wins before you welcome in UCLA and then start conference play. So not only is this a part of the schedule where Indiana should be able to tack on some more wins and, and keep moving up the uh, the rankings, it's also many, many times that um, you guys can go check out this team. They play Saturday at 7. Uh, IU football is not playing. There's no reason to stay and watch. You can root for Wisconsin from Assembly Hall. Go out and watch them. Um, should be a fun game to watch. Uh, this is a fun team to watch. Hopefully they're back to full strength. And uh, hopefully they're able to string together a bit of a win streak here and, and really start making a statement because... This is really setting up to be a really, really special season. Not enough credit given to Terry Moran for for the work she's done with this program in the last couple of years. Um, last thing to touch on is the only kind of downer news of the podcast. The IU men's soccer team, since we last spoke, their season came to an end. Austin, uh, how did their how did their season end? Well, just to pick up from where we left off, I believe it was after the Big Ten title game that Indiana won. I believe we talked about that on the last pod. Uh, since then, they started the NCAA tournament, and in their first matchup, they got Kentucky, like we talked about, and um, Victor Bezerra just put them in a dumpster, just absolutely upended the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, it was really a shame to see it. Uh, he scored a hat trick to, uh, push the Wildcats out to sea as, uh, as was made on the website. If you missed that, go check out that story. It was a great game from Bezerra. Just some absolute bangers from him in that game to put the Hoosiers on the board. In the second game of the NCAA tournament run, however, in the Sweet 16, Indiana got a red-hot UC Santa Barbara team. Um, UC Santa Barbara, traditionally one of the stronger programs in the nation. Uh, this is a team that has played. This is a team that has a really, really nice facility that I actually got to visit last year. They hosted the College Cup. Um, just a good soccer school. One of those good soccer schools. And and 
Indiana just happened to catch the wrong team at the wrong time, really. Um, UCSB was able to kind of control the, the tempo of the game that brought a lot of the first half. Indiana didn't get a lot of chances, um, especially in the first half. Indiana got some more chances. Uh, they ended up out shooting the Gauchos 12-6. The problem with that is that Indiana only had two on goal. The Gauchos had three. And that last goal, uh, that last shot on goal made all the difference in the world as in the second overtime period in the 102nd minute, UCSB's Will Bainham put in a goal that would end Indiana's season. Uh, the quest for nine continues and it was an absolute heartbreaker because Indiana had the ball. Um, Indiana's right back, passed it back to the middle. It looked like they were probably going to try to swing it around to the left wing. And the Indiana center back just, there was some tail on the ball a little bit. It kind of curved a way that he didn't expect it to. And uh, that allowed Bainham to get in, steal the ball, put it in the back of the net. Um, an absolute heartbreaker of a way to lose any game, let alone an NCAA tournament game. Uh, just a really, really loss for the Hoosiers, especially for a team that has been so much fun throughout the season. Um, a really fun team to watch uh, in absolutely brutal fashion in this one. It's a frustrating way to end the season um, to really it was a frustrating season in some regards. The offense we talked about at times kind of came and went. It seemed like they had gotten some things figured out after their uh, loss to Maryland and they were playing really well and then uh, and then the, it just kind of reared its head again and they, they struggled again and it came at a really bad time, and as you said, the way they lost was brutal. Just a, a miscue at the back, a slip, um, and you see Santa Barbara finally took their chance and, and shocked Indiana. Um, as we said, this is a really young team. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of the team comes back. Um has there been any kind of sense of of any of these guys leaving or sticking around or anything? Not a lot that's that's really official yet, or, or even just, just there isn't even really much smoke yet. I mean, we're only four days removed from the season ending, so it's probably going to take a little bit longer just for guys to kind of unclench, you know, relax, you know, to really get into off-season mode, to really start thinking about stay or go... Um, obviously you're going to lose the seniors, uh, like four of them this year. So, uh, not a huge loss, but I mean, you're losing some important players. You're losing some right back. Um, he was really good in his loan season in Bloomington. Um, you're losing Jorisa Lindvey, who is an oop talented player, but he only played in 10 games for the Hoosiers this season because of injuries and whatnot. It really... He his one year in Bloomington was possibly the most disappointing part of this season, just because you you could see it when he was on the pitch. He's 
an all-American kind of player, and it just never really worked out for him. And then you're also losing Jordan Klein, who's a guy who's been solid for the Hoosiers uh, for a few years now uh, on that back line. So those are your three big losses um, that you know are coming. Now, that being said, this team had 14 different goal scorers this season, a lot of them really, really young dudes. So, I, I mean, you, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic about next season. I, I mean, I think that if you're going to lose anybody, um, just a bit of speculation. I, I think that Josh, guy who's ready to make the jump, um, he scored six goals, had two assists this season, uh, and he was just tremendous on the wing for the Hoosiers. He's a guy that can play all across the front line. He's a guy who already has professional experience with Indy 11 playing in uh, USL as well as the U.S. Open Cup. So I think that he's a guy who might be ready to go. Um, he would be the one that I would watch. Um, obviously, you have plenty of other fantastic underclassmen as well. Victor Bezerra, a guy we already mentioned, he's fantastic. Um, Aiden Morris is another guy who will be a pro one day, uh, I would be surprised if it's as soon as, you know, a couple months from now. Uh, Jack Mayer is another guy who's professional grade. So uh, there's a lot of question marks right now. Um, I would feel optimistic if you're a Hoosier fan. Just, you know, Todd Yaley will figure it out. He and his staff, that's one of the best coaching staffs in the country. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a program that lost 10 of 11 starters last season, and they still made it back to the Sweet 16. So if they could get through that and they could still win a Big Ten double, still make a Sweet 16, I wouldn't be that worried about next year because it's it's Todd Yeagley. So um, all in all, just really disappointing end. What was a really fun season, really good season, and like I mentioned, Big Ten double. There's only so many teams that can claim to have done that, and almost all of them come from Bloomington. So, um, yeah, just pour pour one out for the Indiana men's soccer program. Yeah, and I, I called it a frustrating season earlier, which probably kind of shows the standard we have for for soccer, because it was a season where we won, where we did the double, like you said, um, and we went. All that time, not even to, to criticize, but we didn't even mention a guy like Spencer Glass, who at times I thought was IU's best player. Um, guys like that. They, as you said, they, there's no reason to not have faith in what Yeagley and his staff has done and will be able to do regardless of however this shakes out. But it'll be interesting to see who stays, who goes, because um, in theory, if these guys stay... This is a top five team next season at the at the very least. Um, That's a dangerous team next season. Yeah. So it was a dangerous team this season, and you bring everyone back, virtually everyone back with a year of experience. Um, there should be a lot of optimism about the soccer team right now. So that will wrap it up for us. We will be back next week. Um We'll talk some, some bowl projections, or nine projections, excuse me. We'll talk about where we're going for a bowl game. Um, talk a little bit about the opponent, try to figure some things out. Um, 
depending on who we get, SEC team or ACC team most likely. And then we'll also, uh, Indiana will have played, the men's team will have played Wisconsin and uh, the neutral site game against Connecticut. So we'll have plenty of basketball to talk about as well. So uh, join us next week. And as always, if you guys can, subscribe, leave a rating and review. We appreciate the support. Uh, but for Austin, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everyone.